All I'm saying is, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Mama, that is old. Well, honey, it might be old, but there's nothing new under the sun. And I might not be saying the words like you all would say it, but it's still true. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom. And I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So join me on the flip as we get into some real good wisdom for you. And I want to ask you, are you an inferior good? I'll see you on the flip. I have a question. Are you an inferior good? Now, I'm asking this question because I was going to entitle this, Stop Being an Inferior Good, but I am not going to make that assumption. What I am going to do is I'm going to ask you to open your your mind to consider some things that I'm going to talk about. And if you are on it, doggone it, then let this just be a refresher and, and, and get you pumped to go and share it with others. But if not, I want you to consider this and really try to work on it because I know I'm working on it, all right? And I'm going to just tell you, I would be hard-pressed to say that every area in my life is on me is is on it is on the tip top. And so there are all going there're going to be areas that I work on and I, I I believe you're going to work on that have some improvement that could stand some improvement. So, let's talk about this whole thing of inferior goods. Now on the A part, I I re- remembered a paraphrase kind of like a snippet of a conversation my mother had uh with us um about this whole concept of the cow in the milk. And the way she described it was way different. And it would take me some years to even grasp the foundations of the wisdom that she shared with us with regards to that old statement about why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free. But she came at a different angle, which was my mother and my grandmother's way. And I was actually in a economics class uh, when it hit me. And to this day, I remember this concept differently because of how my mother described a cow and the milk. And this concept is the concept of the inferior good. Now, I think I've got, I've told you guys that um, when I was in um, my grad program, my MBA program with finance and economics and those types of things, I also dabbled in consumer behaviorism because I already, um, was doing uh, therapy and stuff from a previous uh, master's degree program. And so I was drawn to the consumer and um, the economics of, of how people bought and, and sold and things. So now that I've got that established, I guess y'all can see why I'm coming from this angle. So bear with me. And I, I, I hope I can make keep this interesting. And I'm only going to be here with you for a few minutes. So here we go. All right. So... Uh, Let me start by first giving you a definition of an inferior good. Now, in layman's terms, what it means is that when you don't have any money, (laughs) this is the good. These are the goods that you're going to purchase. And so the poorer you are, the more you consume of these products. The uh, these products are only appealing to people when they can't do any better. As your income rises, 
you abandon the product and you get something better. And it is a lot of times uh, associated with perceived quality, uh, real or imagined. It can even have inferior components and uh, lower quality uh, portions or parts of it. It can even be the leftovers or the dregs for, you know, some sometimes. And I say that because when we think about uh, inferior goods, there are industries that are built around it. And uh, in America, we have uh, like lots, L-O-T-S kind of stores, like big lots, save a lot and, and those types where they get the goods that were left over, that they, either they made too many of them or they're being discontinued because the demand isn't there and, and thus they're discounting them. And those people who cannot afford to get the other products go here looking for the bargain. Now, this is the part that I want to say that is that got me when I was learning about inferior products. And I want to say it here and put a pin on it. And then we're going to break this down where I want to help you figure out if you've been an inferior good. All right. So this is the part that I want to make mention of. And that is that an inferior good is one that the poorer part of the masses consumes. The poorer part of the masses. Make sure you, you, you hear that. The poorer part of the masses. So of all the people, the poorer part. And not for nothing, this is usually going to be the largest portion of a society. So an inferior good can be confused with popular because there are more people who are quote unquote poor than there are who are affluent, wealthy, or rich, which those are all the same. Um, and so just because something is an inferior good does not necessarily mean it is not popular. So just bear that in mind. All right. But then I want to go to the opposite. So the inferior good is going to be bottom. The dregs, the leftovers, the I can't do no better than this. That's going to be the toilet paper that is so rough that if you look at it real good, you might still see flecks of the sawdust in the sheets, in the one ply sheet, by the way. Um, but then let's look at the aspirational. Now, we have an inferior good and at the top of the heap is is the aspirational, but they don't call it a good. You know what they call it? a brand. And I can say a lot more about the difference between a good and a brand, uh, but we don't have time for that. But that is something that I uh, I, I teach when I'm, I'm dealing with people who want to start uh, self-publishing fiction. I, I handle fiction real well, y'all. But just teaching them how to set up a brand and understanding it from the marketplace and the people and all of that. And so there is a difference. So this is not a play on words. They're saying a lot. So at the top is an aspirational brand. And get this, an aspirational brand is a brand or product which has, are you ready for this? A large segment of the masses who wish to own it, but due to economic reasons, they can't. Meaning those same masses these are the brands and products that they lust after that they really want, but they cannot afford them. And these aspirational brands and products, they 
command a price premium in the marketplace over any kind of commodities and stuff. And we're going to talk about commodities real quick. Now, continue to bear with me because there's a reason why I'm talking about this because today, you're going to learn today (laughs) that if you have found yourself being very appealing to the masses, you might want to correct that to make sure that you're not just appealing to the masses for the wrong reason, okay? So there is a hierarchy of brands in the in the marketplace, and I'm going to just go over them really quickly for you, five of them. And uh, this is not necessarily the right terms, but it'll get you in the ballpark. But this is how I, I look at them. So we have the inferior good. That's the bottom of the rung. That's the, I'll buy this until I get can't do any better. That's the, where's the beef? <laughs> You know, that's the barely beef. It's barely enough in there, but the rest of it is filler because it's the cheapest and I need to eat. And so I'm going to buy this quote unquote fish stick that's just minced something with some fish flavor in it kind of thing. Then uh, after that, above that, I should say, you have commodities and economic goods. So commodities and economic goods are in that next band. So a commodity is going to be something that is equal value. It's not really something that you can differentiate all that much, like um, a, uh, a broom is a broom. You know, when it comes down to it, there is very little you can do to make it higher quality or different. And so when you're looking at commodities, like a pig is a pig, (laughs) those types of things. So that's going to be a commodity. And then with the, uh, after the commodity above that is going to be the economic goods. And those are going to be the ones for people who, who do demand a certain amount of quality, but they want it at a good price. And so that's going to be an economic good. That's going to be the uh, base model of a reputable car. That's going to be, if you say, for instance, you want, and I'm not going to call any cars out here because I don't want y'all sending me messages telling me I'm wrong, but I'm going to say, like, if you want a good car, you want to have the minimum uh, things on it that are going to do what you want the car to do, but they have to be quality. They can't be, they can't be horrible. And usually these economic goods are going to be offered by a brand. So let's just go back to the toilet paper. In America, U.S., and I'm not saying that you guys don't have it over there, but we have a brand called Charmin that is an industry leader. And they have uh, a economic brand level and they call it their basics. And with the basics, it still has the quality of Charmin, but no fluff. The packaging doesn't have a lot of fluff. It doesn't have a lot of uh, added this or that, but it's a good solid product. So that's going to be an example of the economic goods level. Then after that, you have the loyalty brands. And this is going to be the Charmin regular that people are familiar with. It's going to be that two-ply plushness that swaddles your bottom like a a, a wonderful soft pillow, you know, as opposed to that inferior good that you taking a chance that you don't get butt rash. I'm just going to say it if you use it too long. All right. So let me go over where we have them for so far. So on the bottom, we've got the inferior good, 
followed by a commodity, followed by an economic good, followed by a loyalty brand. And then the top one is going to be an aspirational brand. So whereas you got Charmin, I don't know what the aspirational brand for a toilet paper would be. So I'm just going to make up one. That one might be a uh, gold, gold leaf infused uh, herbal um, bamboo sheets, you know, <laughs> or something like that. Something crazy and over the top uh, for your toilet paper, for your disposable toilet paper or something like that. Uh, so, or better yet, it doesn't even have to be a, a toilet paper. It could be a bidet. You know, you could get you a bidet where you don't really need all of that. <laughs> so there's that. So those are the five different levels. I'm telling you these five different levels because I want you to understand the positioning of where an inferior good is and how so many people don't realize that they think they're doing something, but they're at best inferior goods. So let's get to this. Um, I want to ask you, do you even know how to tell the difference between whether or not you where you fit on this on these levels? Are you an inferior good thinking that you're an aspirational brand or are you an economic good who is wanting to be aspirational brand or whatever? This is just simply to get you to start thinking about where you fall on this because going back to how my mom talked about that cow and that milk, I started to see some things in my economics classes. And that is this, that no matter who you are or where you are, we are part of a community, a culture, a tribe, a a striation, an avatar group or whatever. Even if we never come out, do you know that hermits are still part of a a group? (laughs) So there is going to be somewhere that you fit in. And depending on what you want to be and do in your life, you need to understand that. And say, for instance, you're like, Michelle, based on what you've told me so far, I'm an inferior good and I'm glad about it. Thank you so much. Click. That's fine. But too many people I see today don't realize that they might be fine with being an inferior good, but it's going to take a loyalty brand at best to get them what they want in life. So if you are wanting to um, not sustain where you are, but if you're wanting to continue to grow and to do and to be the best that you can be, These are things that are going to help you wisdom-wise to understand where you are. So now that we've talked about inferior goods versus aspirational brands by way of a um, by way of a uh, brand, let's talk about it by way of people. So, as an inferior good person, this is the person who might appeal to a lot of people because they can't do any better. This is going to be your Joe Q public, your plebeian. This is going to be your seat filler at the Oscars. This is going to be your person who's nondescript. This is going to be your person who, in a lineup, you look like the boy or the girl next door. You're going to be the least viable effort of humanness when it comes to remarkability, usefulness, and those types of things. This is not a put down at all. It is not. It is simply to say that too many times I see folks that are like, I'm doing it. 
and you look and you're like, you're an inferior good. And as soon as someone can do better, they will. Whether it be dating or whether it be trying to get your hustle on, um, you have to know this. So let me just, let me just for a few minutes, break that down. Um, there, when I, when I used to do a more, you know, psychoanalysis and therapy, there would be people that would come and they would talk about situations, uh, that they wanted, but everything that they presented, everything that they did, everything that they were at the time warranted what they were getting in their, uh, in their interactions with people and the way they were perceived in society. I was like, if you want a better significant other, you have got to stop being the default. You have got to stop. Um, you've got to stop being willing to be the base model. You've got to stop being the used car until I can do better. And when I said used car, I did mean being used until I can do better. Whether it was with a a relationship or on your job or how you were perceived in your social group, you know, people didn't realize it. And I remember at that time, I would get frustrated because I was like, can't you see? Can't you see that, that they're using you? They're walking all over you. And it wasn't until I realized that this person was projecting that they were there for the poorer part of the masses. Remember, an inferior good appeals to the people who are at the bottom part of the of the masses in that area and cannot do any better at that time. It's kind of like the, uh, well, if I can't be with the one I want, I'll be with the one I'm with kind of thing. And that's not cool. So then likewise, in jobs, why is it everybody else um, gets picked for this or that but me? And even when they would try to go out and do something about it, somebody else would steal their thunder or, or people would not believe that they really did it and all this kind of stuff. And there is a, a wisdom way to be aware of this and to fix it. We're going to get to that real soon. All right. So then if, for instance, you're starting to see, hopefully you're starting to see that inferior goods and people who get treated inferiorly they have a similarity in that people only use them or want to be around them when they can't get what they want when they can't get the aspirational and there is a way to come up out of that oh yes there is so let me just deal with that real quick and then I'll let you go so what I want you to do once you if you're starting to be like hey that's me then the first thing is Immediately, stop settling for being the make-do model, for the base model, for the default setting. Stop doing that in any part of your life where this is like ding, 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 this is going on, okay? Because you have to make the change from being healthful, H-E-L-P-F-U-L, helpful, to being useful, U-S-E-F-U-L to being inspirational. So you can't just jump from helpful to inspirational. A lot of people try it, doesn't necessarily work that way. So what do I mean in this progression? Being helpful. Helpful is that person who is able to do stuff that the other person could do 
if they wanted to, had time or whatever. It's being helpful is that person that doesn't give you anything more than what you would have done for yourself. Being useful is that person who gives you something that you could not have done for yourself. They have a different spin on it, a better take, a new way, you know? And let me just put it this way. You want to be, if nothing else, you want to be useful because you see what they pay the help. Think of the help as, like I said, the inferior good that will just, until I can do better, I'll use this. But the useful person is going to be that person who specializes, that person who when they need to know something is going to be done or handled or or presented or whatever it is, they, they pay for the expertise. They pay for the special the specialness of what you do. That's going to be the useful person. But then there is the inspirational person. That is the person who is able to take you, whether you are helpful or useful, and upgrade you. They are inspirational in that who they are and how they help you. They make you better than you were before. They leave you way better than when they met you. And that's the difference between having an inferior good and then a, you know, a middling kind of uh, economic or loyalty good to putting you up into the aspirational rafters. So now that I've said that, I'm going to give you a few fast <laughs> um, case studies to just show you some people who got their come ups, some people who did it. All right. So Mae West. Turn of the century, 1893, she's born. Her first breakout role wouldn't happen until 40 years later when she became the breakout star, blonde bombshell star, if you will, of a new Paramount picture in 1933. Now, before that, Mae West had come up through hard times. She had gone to jail. She was a comedian. She was scrappy. She was on vaudeville. And she was a very popular uh, entertainer. But remember, she was a popular entertainer for the poor masses, those who couldn't afford to go to the Broadways and pay the big money for the Savoys and all of that of their time. And so she had a lot of cachet with a lot of people who couldn't do any better. But if they could, they would take their pennies and go to somewhere else. So she was a quote unquote broad, as they called them at the time. But when she got this break, she understood by this time. Now, get it. She's 40 years old. She's overweight. She is not a starlet. um, And yet and still, she knows there's an opportunity for her to move from being this inferior good to this aspirational brand. And what she did was is she was willing to take risk and do radical surgery on herself. Um, she uh, dyed her hair a, a goddish uh, um, platinum blonde so that it would stick out on um, the movies because at the time they only had black and white. And so there's only so much you can do. She negotiated hardball to write her own lines. And then she fought tooth and nail day by day with the director to get the best lighting and the best blocking for herself so that when she made her deliveries, her entries and her exits, she would shine. And this came, this did come from her being able to do uh, a lot of learning in the 
uh, the vaudeville days and that kind of stuff. But when the show came out, she stole it. She took it over and she became that aspirational person. She single-handedly helped women to start understanding how to use catchphrases and uh, understanding how to show their savviness in a way that was acceptable. And she became the woman to aspire to be like, how did she do this? Well, she did what we just talked about. She moved from not only, she moved from being an inferior entertainer to being a highly useful uh, person in the movies. And when she got to be useful, she saw, oh, I can be very useful. She turned it into inspiration. While I'm here, I'm going to inspire others. And that is how she made that mood move from inferior to aspirational. Let's talk about Dolly Parton. There's so many of them, but I just wanted to give a few that I thought, you know, had a long enough history so you can see what we're talking about. So Dolly Parton, we move on to Dolly Parton from the uh, Tennessee Hills of the USA, a young girl who was a songwriter playing her guitar, knew she loved frilly things, but was never taught really how to do stuff. Her hair was always too big. Her breasts were too big and all this kind of stuff. And she looked garish. And But she had a pretty good voice. And so what Dolly Parton did in the time where it was male-dominated, she played the coy um, ingenue, the innocent ingenue, uh, who was just a little too gaudy. But who was really talented to work her way up to now outside of Walt Disney. She is the only other entertainer that I particularly know of that has a thriving and sprawling entertainment complex. Yes. She's got Dollywood. If you go up to Tennessee, Dollywood is ruling some things and help and has been ruling things for many years. Um, In that whole region, because of Dollywood, Entire industries have sprung up, Pigeon Forge, the cabins in the mountains and all of these things because she came up through the ranks. She turned herself uh, from being a tolerated performer, which would be akin to inferior, to becoming a savvy a songwriter and a mover and shaker in the Nashville Opry land to where she became highly useful. And once she became highly useful, then she took time to start becoming inspirational when she made the foray in, in the 1980s into movies and started affecting women who saw her on the big screen with her brand of being. She is famous for this saying that says, uh, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. And she said it tongue in cheek, but people knew what she was saying. She was saying, I know you might think I'm inferior, but watch me. And she was inspiring. She had the the best and the top leading men at the time fighting for. And when Dolly was in a movie, you knew it was going to be great and on and on. But then I'm going to give you one that's an up and comer. I love watching NPR Tiny Desk. Love it. And I'm not saying anything about political stuff. I'm just saying I love NPR's Tiny Desk. You can catch it on YouTube or on their website. And there is this up and coming rapper. Yes. And her name 
stage name is Megan the Stallion. And it I don't like that term stallion because I know that that's a boy horse, but still it's because she's tall and she's statuesque. She's a beautiful girl and highly talented. Um, but the thing is, is that she claims that she does ratchet rap. Her words, not mine. And a lot of her content is an over-sexualized message. But looking at her on NPR and of the, yes, I have done research on Miss Megan, and of her rise over the last four years uh, to where she is now, she is on the same trajectory from moving from an inferior good to an aspirational brand. Because when she was coming up and doing her raps, she was proving herself coming up through the masses of being able to be a rap battler, meaning that she could rap at the drop of a hat. She could come up with rap off the top of her head. And that is a proving ground for the for the poorer masses where the uh, artistry and the execution of this particular music uh, music genre is appreciated for those. She did mixtapes. So that was another thing. So she appealed to the masses as a inferior good, meaning that she started out where they would support her. They could afford to come and see her. She was a young girl coming up and uh, she, she did that. Then she became highly useful because she is a great lyricist. She gets a message out. So her metaphor and her use of imagery in her rapping is great. And y'all, I'm not a rap connoisseur by any stretch of the imagination. But as a storyteller who practices my craft daily, game recognizes game. And this girl is really good at it. And so she is, that is part of the reason why NPR reached out to her to launch a new uh, format for their Tiny Desk series. And they did a great job with it. She has practiced her craft. She gives a great um, uh, show and it was reflected in the comments on YouTube and on their site. And so she's on par to become an aspirational brand as well, because there's no denying it. When you listen to her, you're like, oh, okay. But then even in the comments, people say things like, Megan inspires me to be that girl while I'm listening to her, which means that now she has moved from being an inferior good to a useful, highly useful person to now being someone that people aspire to. So let's take a look at how we can change our trajectory from being an inferior good to at least getting up there where we got some loyalty, but hopefully as an aspirational brand. All right. So the first thing, like I said before, you don't ever want to be that person that people take for granted and use when they can't do any better. You don't want to be that friend that the only reason why they they called you up and invited you is because no one else was available. You don't want to be that person that uh, on the job, the only reason why you are at the uh, off-site location is to take the minutes and record everything while the stars do stuff. And I am not trying to say that you should, you know, strive for things that don't matter in your life. 
And I'm not trying to say that capitalism or any of that kind of stuff makes you, if you're not winning at that, that you're inferior. I am not. What I am saying is, is an inferior good appeals to the most people. You want to embrace your true essence of who you truly are. It is okay if everybody doesn't get you when you are your cre- you're in your creative authenticity. It is okay if it takes people a little longer to, to focus and to concentrate to really get what you're trying to say. You cannot be all things to all people. And so I want to bring this back around to my mother's cow and milk analogy and what she was saying at the time that it was taking my blockhead enough to get was that when people talked about why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, she was talking about an economy. She was like, if you are in an economy where there are too many cows, everybody is going to expect your, your milk to be free. You need to move yourself out of the place where there's too many cows. You, and she was like, I am teaching you to understand that your milk has value. I'm teaching you to understand that you have value. She wasn't using the term useful. She was using the term value, but they are one and the same. Seth Golden says it in a different way. He he talks about purple cows, being able to stand out from the crowd, not being confused as an inferior good or even a commodity, but being understood as a golden goose, someone who sits above, someone to be aspired to. When you are an aspirational brand, people have to qualify to be able to interact with you or consume your product of who you are. There are some people that you and I may not ever know, but who is the person when you're dealing with people who have built up to the level to be able to consume what they produce. There are levels to this thing, of course. But what I do want you to understand is this, is that there is a way that you can you can move yourself through the ranks. So the next thing is, is after you, you stop, you're like, I'm no longer the default setting. I'm no longer the base model. What you want to do is you want to sharpen your self-perception and self-awareness. Do you realize that the more you know about yourself in truth and honesty, you are going to project even in your pheromones and in, in, in your aura, you're going to project something that becomes appealing to people where they automatically know things like your boundaries. They know what they can and can't get away with. They know how they have to step to you. They know if you command respect. And it is not just the outward uh, dress. You could be dressed in rags and people will still understand you know, it, it, it makes your chest stick out where you have a carriage about yourself. There's just something and it happens from the inside. And with your self-perception, are you always able to be that person who, depending on what the situation needs, you're able to read the room correctly. Your social and emotional tel- intelligence is on point. Your adaptability quotient is off the charts and your curiosity quotient is something to behold and marvel at because you see with eyes that Sherlock Holmes wished he had. That's what I'm talking about when I'm like, 
get your self-awareness and your self-perception. Step your game up. And then this is the, the biggest one. You want to do a radical makeover. Now, I wish I could tell you this is going to be fun. It is not. It's not even going to be okay. It's going to be hellish and it's going to hurt. And the reason why is because a radical makeover makes you do the exact opposite. So let's just break that down. Most people are used to doing superficial changes and superficial improvements. You see, a, a, a superficial change is what you you look at as um being something that is in accordance with what everybody else is doing, what everybody is expecting, is in line with what is uh, in vogue. Yeah, it's superficial. And so it makes it where it's an improvement. So superficial is when you improve something. Radical is when you do something totally new. It's a new direction, a new opportunity, a new way. You're on a new level, a new realm, a, a new eyesight, a new, okay? It's, it's just different. So where they're superficial, most people are used to doing that. It's where you don't take any kind of chances. You play it safe. Even if you think you're doing something radical, you're not. You're playing it safe because you're just doing tweaks and adjustments. And in order to move yourself out of the inferior, or even if you're stuck in the land of meh, where you're an economic good, loyalty brand for a few at best, if you're really trying to get into that aspirational, where you stop being just tolerated as an inferior good, and you want to get into the useful and then catapult yourself into the uh, inspirational, this is what you got to do. You got to become radical. And in order to become radical, what that means is instead of uh, prettying up the surface, you got to go down to the bone, to the root, to the source. Heck, you got to go to the seed and be willing to get back in the ground and wait until the seed naturally germinates to regrow something new, not regrow, but to grow something new. On the other side, it also means that you have to remove or cut out down to the bone that which is dead, that which is uh, diseased, that which is crooked, out of sorts, which is a malady. And you have to cut it out, every bit of it, so that it, it remains no more. And once you've had this radical makeover, you got to stop trading in a dollar to get 10 cents. And what I mean by that is you got to stop giving away your milk from the great cow that you are. My mama was right. You are not to be consumed among the poor masses that only deal with you because they can't do no better. You don't want to even be in the part of nice to have. Because see, nice to have is that loyalty brand. Oh, it's nice to have the good Charmin. But I'll, I'll, I'll go with this Scott over here. You want to be in that aspirational must have one day before I get out of here. Bucket list worthy. You got to be in that area. Once in a lifetime opportunity is presented, I got to do whatever I can to make this happen. And that is when you catapult yourself by understanding that you are beyond useful. You leave people better than you found them. You are inspirational. Now, if you notice, 
I didn't say nothing about motivational because motivation is a fallacy. It can never be done externally. You have to motivate yourself from within. But inspiration can trigger motivation. So when you see someone doing something, they inspire you and then you yourself get motivated to take action. So the fastest way that I can tell you wisdom wise When you realize I'm tired of being an inferior good and I'm ready to take it all the way up to an aspirational brand is you figure out how to stop being tolerated, how to stop just being good enough until I can do better. Then you stop being helpful. You start understanding where your true usefulness is. That comes from increasing your self-awareness and self-perception to be able to dictate to yourself who you are and Casting that out wherever you go, because a majority of public perception is dictated by your self-awareness and your self-perception. So be aware of that. Right. And once you start doing that, start activating your usefulness. And as you do that, get to the point where you inspire. And you will start becoming an aspirational brand. You will start having people where you would like Megan the Stallion, where you started off as a little rapper, you know, like people saying, oh, she's cute. Now, mind, mind you, her mother was a rapper, too. But the novelty of it, she's cute. But she paid her dues and and did those things. And she uh, moved her way up where she was tolerated at first. Then she became highly useful as a uh, rapper who could think on a dime and and write lyrics and metaphors that blow your mind to where she became very useful. And now she's starting to become aspirational because under the subtext, under the, the meaning, the subtext of what this young lady is saying is so freaking inspiring just to get people to think differently about themselves and how they interact with their worlds. And that is how an inferior good can go to an aspirational brand. And so guess what, y'all? Yes, my time is up. I thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. Don't forget to check the show notes. Thank you everyone for supporting us by using our Amazon link, by sending us direct donations through PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, and even through our Anchor platform. And I appreciate you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, Please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.